Before we begin this episode, I want to share with you something for Season 7. So, you want to know what goes well with a bun mi? Freshly roasted Vietnamese coffee from Win Coffee Supply. Yes, that's right. Win Coffee Supply is America's first specialty Vietnamese coffee company and proud champion of the resilient Robusta bean. The company imports through direct trade relationships with Vietnamese farmers and roasts in Brooklyn, New York. Founded in 2018 by first-generation entrepreneur activist Sarah Nguyen, the company is on a mission to change the future of coffee through diversity, sustainability, and cultural integrity. Specifically, they diversify the industry through Vietnamese coffee, elevate resilient robusta as the key to our sustainable coffee future, and transform the landscape through economic advancement for both Arabica and robusta farmers globally. Check out their website at www.wincoffeesupply.com or follow them on Instagram at wincoffeesupply. Remember, it is spelled N-G-U-Y-E-N. Be sure to use the code BUNMI10, spelled B-A-N-H-M-I, to get your discount when you make a purchase on their website. Red Scarf Revolution is a merchandise line that celebrates and uplifts the Khmer diaspora identity and experiences. It is also part of the effort's long work on preserving the history of the Khmer American culture and honoring the survivors of the Khmer Rouge genocide. Founded and organized by Salong Chun, a 1.5 generation Khmer American who was born in the Thailand camps after his family escaped the genocide, he created Red Scarf Revolution as a remembrance of that tragic history but also the celebration and resilience of the Khmer people across the diaspora. You can check out their website and merch line at redscarfrevolution.com or on Instagram at red underscore scarf underscore revolution. Thank you. Hey everyone, welcome to the Bunmi Chronicles podcast. This is your host and creator of this podcast, Randy Kim. So before I begin this episode, I do want to caution that there is a trigger warning, is that there will be discussions focusing on undocumented immigrant trauma. So to kick things off for season seven's theme, Reclaim, I invited Ju Hong to talk about his own immigrant activism, uh, and especially through the lens of someone who's been undocumented. And I first knew about Ju Hong through my mutual friends uh, nearly a decade ago. But, you know, Ju Hong and I had never had a conversation before. And I would always watch what he's been doing in the movement because he was so active and so uh, passionate about, about what needed to get done. And there was a very memorable moment that I thought was incredibly pivotal that caught my attention and caught everyone's attention for that matter. And it was when President Obama, who was trying to promote the comprehensive immigration bill back in 2013, which eventually did not pass. But at that time, when President Obama was talking uh, in front of a group of DACA folks, Ju Hong made the decision to interrupt President Obama and calling him out on the lack of movement in the immigration uh, in the immigration legislation and also with the record deportation that was already growing under his administration. And that is where the story of Ju Hong really got amplified. And so 
I remembered being just mesmerized and just being in awe of his bravery, his courage, and his unapologetic stance on calling out allies for not doing enough on immigration. So we talked about that experience and what that was like back then and what has happened since then. And then we also talked about his uh, recent troubles uh, earlier this year when his DACA renewal was delayed, which also caused him to lose his job and his health care. And this was also an experience that other DACA applicants had experienced where they weren't getting their DACA renewals on time. So we talked about his own experiences growing up being undocumented, but his own history with the immigration movement and what it meant to him and also what the current fight looks like right now. What does the current landscape of immigration legislation, uh, what are the possibilities of it looking like in the near future and also with the upcoming midterm election? So there's so much to unpack in that conversation but i am very grateful for that conversation and i hope that you get to learn more about ju hong's work uh, through this episode so in the meantime hope that you enjoy this episode and learn so much from his work thank you also welcome to asian american and pacific islander heritage month I hope you're as excited about this as I am. This is an opportunity to learn the many untold stories of our community, to learn the many stories of struggles, triumphs, resilience, solidarity, and the positive outcomes that have happened in our history. So take the time to learn about us and the vast, vast experiences of East Asians, Southeast Asians, Melanesian, Micronesian, Polynesian, South Asian, Southwest Asians, and West Asians. The better we know our history, the better our solidarity becomes and the potential that we can achieve as a collective. Now, a word from another fellow sponsor of the seventh season. Is your nonprofit tired of using multiple Excel spreadsheets? Do you have a hard time reporting program data to your funders? Johnsu Consulting can help. Through the Salesforce Foundation, it provides access to their fundraising platform for free to any C3 nonprofits. Jansu Consulting specializes in customizing Salesforce to your organizational needs. They will provide hands-on training to your staff. Don't miss out on this amazing opportunity to help raise more money for your nonprofits so you can keep making a positive impact in your community. So please visit Jansu Consulting at www.channsou.com. Again, it is www.channsou.com to learn more about their services. Hi, everyone. So welcome to the Bunby Chronicles podcast. So today I am joined with Ju Hong. And so to give you an uh, to give you a background of who Ju Hong is, uh, he was the former program financial analyst at the Alameda County Social Services Agency. Previously, Ju was the former governmental 
Program Analysis at the Immigration and Refugee Branch of the California Department of Social Services, which funds over 100 community-based organizations to provide legal services to immigrant communities throughout California. Drew came to the U.S. from South Korea at the age of 11 and grew up in the Bay Area. He graduated from Laney College in Oakland and transferred to UC Berkeley, where he became the first undocumented student government senator in UC Berkeley's history. Chu also contributed and published immigration articles on Politico, Huffington Post, and the Korea Times. Chu often shares his personal story at conferences and universities to educate and inspire people to take action on immigration. Chu also has a personal documentary called Harmony. Chu currently serves as a board chair of NACASEC, which is the National Korean American Services and Education Consortium and a member of the Leadership Council of Immigrants Rising. He holds a bachelor's degree in political science at UC Berkeley and a master's in public administration at San Francisco State University. Ju is also a certified coach through the Leadership That Works credential through the International Coach Federation and obtains a government alliance on race and equity certification. He is currently working on his passion project, Immigration's Podcast, where he captures the unique stories of Asian undocumented individuals living in the U.S. You can follow his passion project on Instagram at Immigrations. So I want to say that you have quite um, a background here and just looking at your bio, I feel like there's so much to cover. But also I wanted to you know, share with everyone like how I got to know your work. And so back in 2013, I used to work for um, what was then called the Korean American Resource and Culture Center up in Chicago. I was doing immigrant rights organizing work. And I knew about you, actually, it was um, through that organization and also Dunakasak, which is actually at the time connected with KRCC um, and KRC in LA, that I knew about your work and your contributions and your uh, background as someone who's been undocumented. And one of the uh, things that stood out for me about you that year was when you um, caught out President Obama during his speech on the what was as what was done the uh, comprehensive immigration reform bill that was that he was trying to push through Congress, which unfortunately did not pass. Uh, it passed the Senate, but did not uh, enter into the House for a vote. But uh, I would definitely like to talk to you more about that. But at that time, I was like, wow, this is such a very bold move for you to do that and and you know coming coming into that experience i just remembered how um many immigrant rights activists especially among the undocumented communities were already very upset with the obama administration for its inaction on immigration, but also the escalating deportations that have happened under his watch. So yeah, I definitely want to talk to you more about that. But yeah, so we had never had a conversation in all these years, which is kind of wild to me because we have a lot of mutual friends. But it was funny, like earlier this year, you had reached out to me through Instagram. And the funny part was that I actually right. have been wanting to have a conversation with you for quite some time and i wanted to have you on for this upcoming season which lo and behold here we are and i'm very happy to you know finally have this conversation so welcome to the show and thank you so much and how have you been doing these days juhong 
I've been doing well. Uh, everything's considered. I'm so honored to be part of this podcast. And, you know, I, as you know, I think that we have a lot of mutual friends and we kept in touch through social media. I also follow your work um, time to time. Uh, a bunch of recently, I wanted to do a uh, podcast on my own. And, and, you know, as I'm scrolling down my social media, um, who have who have done podcasts or know about this uh, medium and just by the universe, I I saw your uh, your podcast and your name came up and oh man, I, I need to talk to Randy and that's how it connected with you and I think you gave such great advice and suggestions and I think you know you're one of the um, many individuals who really inspire me to take action to start off the podcast and so I'm really grateful um, for your support and um, and I was so eager to join this podcast when you asked me to do so oh. uh, so I'm very excited to be here thank you so much for saying that and also I am um, I've always been inspired by you especially ever since um, the interruption that you gave on President Obama I think it really showed me the kind of integrity that you have and also the the love and passion for your own community and it really showed in that moment and i'm so glad that you have this platform that actually is in a way like a love letter to to that community that you've been so close to for all of these years that the, the community that you've um been arm in arm for so long and so i think it's so great to see that kind of work be lifted into into this platform which you know the podcasting platform is so vital to um bringing not just you know it cannot just be the success stories of asian americans it cannot be just on the the model minority myth um it it has to be about these different layers, these intersectional experiences, and and the undocumented experiences is incredibly vital to the Asian American experiences. And so, thank you for you know bringing that work into the universe and for really shedding light into what these stories are about, and that they're not just a single story narrative. There's different layers to these experiences, uh, connecting to the immigration uh, stories. So. I wanted to ask you, so going back uh, when you first arrived to the U.S. at 11 years old, um, I'm also, well, I think what I'm very curious about is what did you learn about what being undocumented meant for you? And was there a movement or were there spaces that actually uh, uh, prioritized or gave space to, um, to your peers who were undocumented during that uh, period? Yeah, I think that's a really great question. I think when I found out my immigration status was back in high school, uh, maybe junior or senior in high school, um, when I was applying for mock college application um, at the counselor uh, session. And, you know, one of the questions uh, that I couldn't really uh, answer was uh, one was my uh, U.S. My citizenship status and social security number so i left it blank and it was just a mock application so i just didn't um, complete the process and so uh, on that night um, you know i asked my mom about 
you know, just my immigration status, whether I'm a U.S. citizen or a Korean citizen, and what's my social security number, how do I go about this, and that's when, you know, my mom, you know, indirectly told me about something is going on with our immigration status, and even that conversation, she did not directly say, hey, look, we are, you know, fell out of the status, um, but eventually, um, I found out that, you know, we came here with a uh, tourist visa and we um, stayed for uh, several months and we tried to, we renewed tourist visa and within those time frame, we tried to adjust our immigration status, but it did not work out. And uh, my mom never told me uh, about the process and how it, you know, we are going to adjust our status and I just have to found it out on my own during my junior and senior high school. And that was around 2008. Mm. So it's, it's been a long, it's been a while. And around the time, you know, um, I, I just, you know, obviously there's no DACA. Uh, DACA uh, was announced in 2000 and uh 12 mm -hmm. and there was no california dream act um and there's a lot of limited resources and i didn't have uh, only a handful of like undocumented um leaders who are really nationally come out and really advocated for immigrants issues um, but at that time in high school um first of all i didn't even know what that meant to be undocumented and um slowly uh, I also find out about how um, I cannot get a driver's license uh, or get a any job and get financial aid, and I could even face at risk of deportation. And you know, I was very young at the time, and all I wanted to do is go to college and experience dorm college life. And all the high school kids were very excited to go to you know, universities that they wanted to go. And I was just like um, any other kid uh, who wanted to go to college and just experience um, what um, the society has been kind of picture around the college. And um, I didn't think too much of it, but I came to realization that uh, it's going to be a lot of challenges and obstacles uh, to even go to college, um, especially when I realized that I couldn't get a, a financial aid and when I got my uh, UC Davis acceptance letter, I was so eager to go. But the realization is that uh, we couldn't because we didn't have money and afford to go to college. And we had I had to turn it down. And uh, that was really, um, you know, disappointing in so many different ways. And I became very uh, isolated and, and ashamed of who I was. Uh, being the fact that I'm undocumented and um, I didn't know how to express my emotions and only way that I can do is just kind of suppress it and just being alone and I became more and more um, isolated and you know get depressed and I thought that I could never go to college um, but you know out of desperation and you know out of try to find ways whether we could go to college you know, we found nonprofit organization 
um, through Korean newspaper. There was like an ad or uh, something along those lines where my mom found out about this nonprofit organization in LA where they provide free immigration legal service and so in consultation. So we just kind of give it a try uh, to see if there's any legal remedies out there for me and my family and to see if I could even go to college and and you know, and they they con they told me that I could go to college despite the fact that I'm undocumented, and I was just so relieved and so um, whether it was true or not, you know, at that at that moment, I was so um, motivated and inspired how organization um, can provide free legal services and consultations, and telling me that I could go to college. It gives me a lot of you know, inspirations. And that is something that I actually wanted to do. Um, but yeah, so through that nonprofit organization, you know, I found out about AB 540, um, which is basically institution um, uh, for undocumented or immigrant community uh, members uh, to pay institution in the state of California. And I learned about a lot of different um, immigration issues, including the Federal Dream Act, and I became like politi politicized through a nonprofit organization. It was just kind of like a leadership pipeline uh, with the help of like you know a nonprofit organization, and um, through them, I went to community college route um, in a local college, and I transferred to UC Berkeley, and I spent two years there, and then right after that, I went to. Um, San Francisco State University, and through those period, you know, I, I was, um, you know, relatively, I wasn't sure how, I was definitely active uh, through nonprofit organization, but I was still scared and afraid of um, speak up and sharing my personal story. And um, there's a lot of, you know, stories or talks around if you, you know, come out and you could potentially get deported. And obviously I was scared for myself and my family and I didn't know how to navigate it that. Um, but, you know, I started to volunteering um, in rallies and events, like kind of doing more administrative work behind the scene but still involved in the immigrants movement through nonprofit organizations and more and more I build confidence and I started sharing my personal story without putting my face out there and using my fake name and more and more I'm building confidence. And um, I think there's point in my life where, you know, I gone through a lot of struggles and obstacles. Uh, I remember often tell this story where I obviously I couldn't get a driver's license at the time around you know 2009 2010 there was no California Dream Act uh, or California driver's license at the time so um, only way that I could get a driver's license um, was to travel to different states and one of them was uh, Washington State and you could get a driver's license without social security number as long as you have a proof of you know, residency. And what I have done was just try to, um, you know, as if like I'm living in the Seattle and I had to pay a bunch of money and 
travel all the way from California to Washington State, and I was scared to uh, fly out there, so I took Amtrak. So I don't know. I think it took 24 hours or 48 hours. I'm not sure. It's a very long hours, and I felt safe uh, taking Amtrak rather than taking a, a, mm-hmm. a plane. And so, long story short, um, you know, I, I I didn't get the driver's license, and I had to cut, either I had to spend another couple thousand dollars there. And at the time, it's incredibly expensive. Even now, it's expensive, but back then it was a lot for us and or go back to california and then just kind of recoup and come back maybe a couple months later and then take the driver's license but we i decided to go back and on the way back you know i was it's another like another long hours right taking amtrak and i was just reflecting i'm like why am i going all the way to watching the state to get a driver's license when my friends and peers are getting driver's license in a uh in a couple miles away from their homes right and i was just so fed up i was so frustrated and sick and tired of um on a daily basis of struggles um not just for myself my family and communities i just have to do something and i just cannot hold this thing up uh, it's gonna explode and um mm-hmm. I use this, this enormous of frustrations into activism and I no longer want to be ashamed. I don't care, um, you know, the risk. I think that the, the greater risk is being silent uh, in the face of injustice that is facing on a daily basis. So I wanted to really speak up and you know, tell the world that, you know, this is happening and we have to address this issue. And this is very critical and important, not just for myself, but my family and the community members. Uh, Let's find ways to uh, do this. And that's when I really publicly come out and share my personal stories in multiple, multiple, uh, multiple ways. And even then at the time, it was only a handful of undocumented folks were there and, um, but there were still, um, you know, it was kind of in the peak of uh, immigrants movement, um, if you will. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, um, I think more and more um, folks are really speaking up um, around 2010. Uh, and that's when another chance of dream, if our federal dream act um, might have passed, it was very close. Mm-hmm. to pass uh, but unfortunately did not pass and um thanks and, joe mansion for nothing exactly um so it, it's been a it's been a long journey and you know looking back you know we have gone we, we have come very far uh you know we have um, i'm really uh, proud of what we have accomplished uh, but i think that we still have a long way to go so i want to ask you um you know, when you talk about um, making the decision to be very vocal about your experiences. Now, what was your own family's reaction when you decided to be more vocal about it? Because I know I've heard stories. I know Dr. Teresa Lee, who was originally undocumented, she told me the story that her family were incredibly upset. And this is back in two, early 2000. This goes even way before um, uh, a lot of the experiences that you have been through in 
in the movement, but what was that experience or your relationship with your family like? Was What was the relationship with your family like uh, during that particular time when you decided to be more vocal? For me, you know, we often do not talk about immigration in general uh, within my family. Um, I think we kind of avoid uh, those topics because it's very sensitive and we try to um, avoid as much as we can. And when it comes to, you know, sharing my personal immigration story publicly, and obviously I think they're very concerned and worried about uh, potential repercussion. And, and it's not easy, right? I think that there's a risk behind every decision that you make. And it's not just for yourself, but your, your family. And so there's a lot of sometimes chip in my shoulder um, to navigate all these situations. And sometimes I doubt myself whether if I'm making the right decisions or not. And that has been um, very challenging and emotionally draining, um, especially in the beginning. Uh, but you know, just, I just couldn't hold, hold it anymore. It, it was just, I, I was just like, my emotions couldn't really, I couldn't hold my emotions. I had to let it out somewhere, somehow. And uh, if I'm going to let it out, let me do it in a positive way and use it in a, a good intention and through activism. And I felt like there was a good uh, channel and I'm very thankful that I had that channel to really express my anger and frustrations. Otherwise, I don't know what I would have done. And, um, you know, I, I try not to talk too much about um, what I've been doing or what I've done with my family. And I try to be very protective um, and I try to be very strategic. Um, how I say things um, and so many little nuances where I, I feel like, you know, uh, feel like maybe if I say certain way, certain direction, um, I'm still sharing my story and releasing my stress, but I'm also protecting my family. And, you know, I was just kind of playing that for, for a very long time. And I feel like sometimes I'm still doing it until this day. Um, but that's how I've been navigating it. But, you know, surprisingly, more I share, the more support that I got, you know, throughout my career and throughout my college days. And, um, and I felt more and more supportive and protected. And, and that is something that, um, was very interesting and uh, it was also another way of survival mechanism for me uh, because I know that the communities will there for me in case if anything happens. So that was just how I kind of, um, you know, navigate through that process. Mm. Thank you for sharing that too. And, you know, back in 2013, and I know we were mentioning this early in, in, the, in the introduction, um, President Obama, um, you were invited to uh, be a, with a group of other fellow undocumented folks um, to listen to 
President Obama, President Obama give his speech on the immigration reform bill. Now, by that point in 2013, um, President Obama had already issued DACA in 2012, which allowed you and uh, many other eligible undocumented folks um, in the college age to receive um, uh, temporary protection from deportations, although there's obviously stipulations uh, regarding that. But for DACA, it is not, it is only an executive order. It can be undone by the next administration, which almost did under President Trump. Uh, but it is not a law. Um, it is not, um, it was not passed through Congress. And by that point, um, during Obama's administration, the bill to pass the DREAM Act had failed under his administration during the first, uh, um, believe, in 2010. And, and part of the 2008 election was also him running on a platform of, of supporting immigration reform. By that point, five years later, nothing was getting done. And unfortunately, uh, many uh, immigrants many undocumented immigrants were getting deported under Obama's administration, which actually surpassed uh, President Bush at the time. And by the time his term was over, about 3 million people were deported. So in 2013, as you were listening to his speech, what was going through your mind when you started hearing him talk about this, this um, this immigration bill that he wants to try to pass and knowing that there was a lot of of Distrust that was already forming, you know among a lot of the undocumented uh, organizers, but also the division between uh, Between immigration activists who were supporting Obama and then there was a faction of the group that were very distrustful of him So I just wanted to see if you could you know share us what was going through your mind during uh, during that particular moment, uh, as you were sitting, as you were standing behind him and hearing a speech. Yeah, I think there's so many angles that I can approach about that event and that significant event that really uh, changed the course of my own uh, personal life and um, it's one of the big. Um, contributions in the larger context of an immigrants movement when I got invited um, by you know White House uh, to hear uh, his remarks on immigration reform in San Francisco I was you know I, I really try to come with a, a open mind uh, despite the fact that you know he uh, has uh, record number of deportations and as you mentioned um, you know before he uh, left the office uh, nearly uh, three million uh, immigrant family members have been deported and around that time when I spoke up um, it was around nearly two million undocumented immigrants um, have been deported and um, you know we could talk about numbers right but it's like if you put in the human context behind it, when you're talking about 2 million people, that's that's a lot of people. Um, and we are not just talking about impacted individuals, but also families being torn apart, um, 
spouses are being separated from one another and uh, parents are being separated from the children and it's a it's a very very terrible um, and inhumane and um, you know oftentimes we we often the public or general public may understand as a Democrats or Obama administration is like the um, immigration uh, pro or pro-friendly uh, immigrant com uh, for communities. But when you really um, dig in um, and you research and what, what is really happening behind the scene, uh, that's not the case, right? And I think that President Obama is, is a politician, he's charismatic, um, his rhetoric is really influencing, uh, swaying uh, the voters and uh, not a lot of people are really fully aware of what's happening behind the scene and uh, how the administration is hurting the, uh, the immigrant communities. Um, but, you know, I really try to be, you know, maintain, you know, uh, calm and just open-minded. And as I was listening to his speech, you know, yet again, I was so disappointed. It was same rhetoric that um, he's given, you know, multiple times, no changes, empty promises. Um, and I didn't want another year, another month, another weeks and days, even next day because I know uh, my community members uh, who are who are in you know detention centers and really desperately seeking for help and support because uh, you know they could get deported at any given period of time and when you know President Obama talked about how he's going to spend time with his family you know that's when I kind of really hit me uh, personally um, and uh, had a, um, and thought about my other friends and community members who could not spend time with their family members during Thanksgiving um, or any other holidays because of this really inhumane immigration policies under the Obama administration. And I couldn't really hold up, but to really, you know, uh, speak up the truth that, um, he needs to stop the deportation and use his executive power to stop the deportations and uh, push for immigration reform and talk with undocumented youth leaders um, and how we can work together to address this issue. And um, that's, that's what I said. And he basically said he didn't have a power to do so. Uh, but, you know, um, there was a lot of debate going on after whether he has a, a legal authority or not. And, you know, there's a lot of conversations around that, but, you know, a lot of, uh, there was a letter was sent out where over hundred, um, credible, um, immigration attorneys all of the, uh, country where they signed the letter that's saying, Actually, he does have power to stop the deportation and he should immediately while the Congress is working on uh, the comprehensive immigration reform. And, you know, I think until this day, you know, unfortunately, his legacy 
um, is not on our side. Um, and, and now, as you know, we have uh, President Obama 2.0. And, you know, yet again, it's a, another disappointing, um, you know, administration. Um, and, you know, it's, um, you know, we, we have to really learn from the past and the history and how we want to move forward um, around immigration issues. Yeah. And actually, before we get into the Biden administration or Obama 2.0, um, getting back into um, when you interrupted his speech. Now, did did um, President Obama and the administration try to reach out to you afterwards? And how did people in your community with fellow advocates and nonprofits and how did they react to the way you spoke out? Because I know that, that there was division, there's disagreements. Some felt that what you said was speaking out of turn and speaking out of line because like President Obama is still working with us. He gave us DACA. On the other hand, and as I mentioned earlier, um, there were a lot of immigration activists, undocumented communities that were getting fed up after five years of not hearing anything and, and seeing more deportations escalating under his watch. So I wonder how that actually affected your relationship with um, with the community and, and also yeah, if 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 the administration actually reached out to you, uh, administration did reach out to me and ask me some couple of questions about the action itself and just basic uh, security questions and safety questions, whether um, around whether you know I was planning intentionally, whether I try to harm president and other basic uh, safety questions, and obviously there's no. Um, I wasn't trying to harm or any sort of nature. I simply wanted to speak the truth, and that's what I did. Um, so, and you know, um, but you know, it's 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 um, it's a difficult, right? You know, when you challenge the most powerful person in the world, um, sometimes you aftermath, you know, psychologically. Um, you're really cautious, you know, I was very anxious, I was hyper alert, I couldn't really try to, uh, you know, send messages or, you know, talk uh, on the phone, because I felt like someone is watching me. And um, I was kind of mentally and psychologically wasn't in the right space uh, for for a very long time. And, you know, we have to also understand the fact that the DACA did not happen because of Obama administration. DACA happened because of the constant effort and direct actions uh, that led to uh, getting DACA. And it is direct result of undocumented youth movement who, uh, one major victories uh, that led to getting DACA uh, by really doing conducting civil disobedience actions, hunger strike, uh, doing a lot of demonstration, vigils, calling Congress and administrations and 
Um, it's a, it's not like a singular event. It has been done for many years of constant actions. And um, I think that the Obama administration got pressured, um, especially during the midterm election. And yes, I think in the, within the immigrant communities, I think there was divisions. By, by, you know, by large, I think within my communities and networks, very, they're very supportive. And I was overwhelmed with text messages and calls. And, um, you know, I felt very supportive. And, you know, I think that I could take the heat uh, from the opposition uh, who disagree with immigration and anti-immigration rhetoric. But it is definitely disappointing to see within your own allies or some of the immigrants organizations fully disagree and criticize um, the action um, that did really um, disappointed me. Uh, but, you know, when I do this type of action or this type of work, movement work, um, sometimes I cannot let a you know, the distractions guide me. Otherwise, I know that I cannot sustain myself. You know, I have to be stay grounded and um, doing the things that what is right for me and what I think is right for our communities and standing the ground. I think it is okay to have disagreement. It, it, is, dis it is okay to have different strategies and tactics as long as we have healthy disagreement and um and and align with our end goal right you know and which is stop the deportations um and really have a um, pathway to citizenship for 11 million undocumented communities and so um you know I, i've been trying to really ground myself when i do this type of major um event like that mm -hmm. So I know in the aftermath of the Trump administration, and certainly I have no interest in trying to relive those four years, because obviously for anyone who was involved, who's been involved in the immigration movement, obviously we knew where Trump's feelings were and his disdain of immigration. And when we now are a year plus into um, the Biden administration, now a lot has happened or, or a lot of other folks would say a lot has not happened, um, which is also very fair. And um, currently in Congress, there's a majority in the House and there is a split 50-50 with uh, Vice President Kamala Harris um, breaking the tie in the Senate. Um, and Senator Joe Manchin and Senator Kristen Sinema uh, felt that they don't need to get rid of the filibuster, which would um, actually, without with the filibuster, it would require 60 plus votes. Um, and you have, and which means you need to get 10 plus Republicans, which is never gonna happen. Um, which would actually would doom the chances of getting the immigration bill passed, which would also include citizenship for those who are undocumented. Now, during that time, you had experienced a very, very difficult situation um, where your DACA was not renewed. And it was not just your DACA, but 
there were many others that were not getting their DACA renewed. And I hate to make you have to relive that um, particular experience, but uh, forgive me if I'm doing that. But I would like to know what was going through that whole process. And, and also, I think it also shows the limitations of what DACA can do. Um, especially from the legal end, and given the Supreme Court is a conservative majority. So I would like for you to see if you could, you know, shed some light into what was going on. Yeah, so my DACA got expired on July 7, 2021, last year. And the context behind that is... Um, I usually renew my DACA every two year, um, same time, same application, nothing really changed. And it was a renewal process um, last year and um, I just kind of gone through the same routine. Uh, but for whatever reason, this never happened to me before since you know I got my DACA in 12, 12, 20, 2012. You know, I didn't get my uh, work permit um, just yet. And it was like maybe three weeks or two weeks. Um, I'm still waiting on my DACA and I still haven't received it. And so I'm slowly reaching out to folks and how should I uh, navigate this? And I contact the USCIS office and other offices and including uh, my own representative and organizations. And, um, you know, I did my part uh, in case if anything happens. And, you know, one week passed by and two weeks later and uh, maybe a couple of days before I, before my DACA, about to fell out of status i was like i don't know what else i can do and i just kind of you know try to find hope but i just didn't know what to do and next thing they you know uh, my daca got expired and as soon as my daca got expired i got terminated from my job and i lost my health insurance even though i have like a leeway uh, but you know essentially I, I lost my health insurance and 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 now i was at risk of facing deportation and that really gave me a like uh, epiphany or it's a sense of like wow i actually you know this daca is temporary and i could face deportation this daca can take it away at any time i could lose my job and lose all my benefits just like that and i just kind of wow I, I realized that I'm, I'm i'm still vulnerable and i felt comfortable i think in this daca bubble where i was just doing my own career um just kind of decompressed from the movement work um and i was trying to navigate uh in my own journey uh, but this kind of hit me in the realization that i'm still undocumented um, and I'm still vulnerable in so many different ways. And I decided to take action 
um, something that I'm very familiar with, organizing the communities and ask for help. And so I ask community members and friends and family members to really call the Congress um, that demand the USCIS to expedite my case. And, you know, within three days, you know, we made about, you know, closer to 600 calls and uh, my DACA status got renewed. And I'm so thankful that I have so many supportive uh, community and networks, but it was very unfortunate the fact that I have to really advocate myself and come out again in a very vulnerable way um, to ask um, such requests. And, you know, and through that process, I came to realize that there's a lot of people like me who are um, experiencing um, this delay and, um, you know, I was like, what is going on? And um, I wanted to advocate um, and really give something back to the community. And so I tried to help some of the individual cases, some of my friends that I know who is being delayed. And collectively, we tried to really ask USCIS and DHS Department of Social Security, uh, uh, Department of Homeland Security to really um, have uh, automatic extension in the event that DACA renewal gets uh, delayed. Um, some other uh, immigration status like U visa or VAWA has certain uh, uh, extension in case it gets delayed. And uh, we were advocating for that. Um, I believe about 180 days extension so that um, DACA recipients can continue to do the work and receive um, benefits um, and without worrying so much about um, this delay while USCIS should um, investing in staff members and really try to renew cases as quickly as possible. Yeah. So I was advocating for that, but the broader issue is obviously DACA is temporary and it's not good enough. Um, it's only helping a very um, small scope of undocumented population. And so we need a you know, comprehensive approach and have a pathway to citizenship. And I've been really uh, advocating for immigrants issue instead of going back to government. And I Again, it was another layer of like frustration. So since last year, my DACA got uh, renewed back, I've been, you know, um, involved in different um, organizations and, you know, campaigning for citizenship for all, try to uh, push um, as much as I can. Um, and, you know, uh, it's, it's gonna be a long fight and I, I, I'm aware of that. Um, and it's, it's a marathon. And this year is a midterm um, election. And we really have to uh, think through what is the strategic ways to uh, maximize our time and resources uh, to support our communities. Yeah, and were you able to figure out why there was such a backlog of DACA renewals and why was this allowed to um, fall through the cracks? Because there were several, there were many others that were not getting their DACA renewals and as a result it expired and overnight they lost their status 
their jobs, healthcare, and it became another level, another form of PTSD, you know, just to have to go through this once again. So yeah, were, were you able to figure out why this was happening? Yeah, I mean, they're about, of, uh, my understanding is that over 40,000 DACA members uh, have been experiencing delays, and that's a large number of community members uh, impacted. And, you know, USCIS um, have turnovers, did not have enough um, staff to uh, manage uh, this uh, pool of uh, applications uh, along with pandemic and um, adding to the layer of difficulties and complexities around uh, previous administration that really crashed the DHS department in general. So there's a lot of different factors, uh, but there's no excuse, right? And I think um, we sh this is another reason why we cannot rely on government and um, we have to really protect ourselves and support um, ourselves within our own communities because um, this can happen at any given period of time to um, any one of us. Mm. And with the midterm election that's coming up, as you mentioned, this year, and also not long after, the 2024 presidential election is also coming up. Now, again, immigration reform hasn't passed and and you're going to do yet another wave of disappointment from the Democratic Party. So how do you keep Latinx Asian voters engaged? And, and especially within the undocumented community, how do you actually still give them motivation? I mean, granted, we already seen what the Trump administration, the Republican Party has done, which is deplorable. But still, it can't help but make your job much harder to to support candidates that are supposed to be your allies to get people to come out and vote again. So what is that current process been like, given what you already know now? I think we have to look into history in our, in our past and how we how we come this far. And I believe that um, we should not relying on Democrats or Republicans. Uh, I believe that we have to invest it in um, collective power and um, immigrant youth movement in order to achieve um, what we. Um, trying to accomplish collectively. And so I think if we ground ourselves, um, how we passed and got DACA and, you know, achieved really major victories like healthcare for all in the state of California and other parts of the cities and other states are following um, health healthcare uh, for undocumented communities. And other legislations like a professional driver's license to um, getting the California Dream Act and um, you know uh, fighting against uh, inhumane uh, immigration policies like security communities and 287G programs. And we won those 
um, victories because of this collective power and movement that we built for the past 10 years. And I think that we need to continue to build that infrastructure and expand and grow our movement and being in solidarity with, you know, multiracial partnerships and coalitions, but also, you know, cross movements uh, where, you know, organizations are fighting for healthcare and climate change because, you know, climate issue is um, essentially uh, immigrants' issues. It's interconnected, right? At you know, um, this as you know, global temperatures rise. You know, we're seeing increasing climate disasters, and um, many people are forced to leave their homes to seek safety. Mm-hmm. And you know, we have wars and genocide. Um, that is happening around the world and uh, that cause forced migration and, you know, um, as an undocumented immigrant and asylum seeker and refugee, there's a lot of similarities and differences and we have to find and explore ways to work together and strengthen our movement and support each other and find really collective uh, liberation um, and I think that's where we um, have to think and vision and ground ourselves and really um, support each other along the way. I want to say one thing to add into what you just mentioned is like also in the past 10 years, the public opinions on how people feel about the dream movements and for undocumented communities and the anti-deportation work has changed Um exponentially. There's been more uh, support for it than ever. Um, I think back when I was back in 2012, I remember it was a very much a 50-50 issue. You know, it was very much split down. Since then, you're looking at about 70 plus percent that supports immigration, especially among DACA folks. So it's a credit to the movement. It's a credit to you sharing your stories. It's a credit to um, putting yourselves out there on the line. And and a lot of it's also been taken from the blueprints of the civil rights movement, which is where you've seen, you know, the Martin Luther Kings of the world, the Grace Lee Boggs, um, the, the Malcolm X's of the world that helped to set these standards for these kinds of movements to, to grow. And so I'm very glad to see you and so many others front that work and to give platform for other folks to to make themselves be heard and to make their stories matter in in this very difficult climate that we're in so what does self-care look like for you in this work then because every day it's been exhausting when you look at the news and you're hearing the disappointments of of people getting deported and you know hearing ice raids and you know, it's it's not just happening in undo- undocumented communities. It's happening in the Southeast Asian communities, which I've, you know, been keeping a close eye on. It's 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 hard to try not to get angry every day when you see what's going on. But how do you handle your own self care and all of this? Yeah, you know, I think you know I got burned out multiple times doing the movement work, and. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I uh, tried to decompress around 2015 and kind of came back unreluctantly uh, last year. Um, 
and it's it's hard work and uh, you know i I'm, I'm not even gonna sugarcoat it it's uh, there's no i i'm still trying to figure it out as 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 i'm part of this this work right but you know what brings me joy is you know hang out with friends and people that i love especially um, impacted individuals who really understand um, my unique struggle and obstacles that we all go through and it's great to be around them and just kind of spend time with them without even talking about immigration issues and it's a, it's a, I feel like I'm part of the community and you know and sometimes I just really not even look at the media social media or read the newspaper or listen to podcasts or anything that around political issues or immigration issues. And I just kind of really silent, silent everything off and just go for a long walk and just reflect and um, try to uh, um, meditate and um, go for a long walk or hike that, that, you know, I think helps. Um, but you know, the over, overall aspect of it, you know, I'm, I'm still, you know, um, trying out different things and ways to sustain this work because it's, uh, like I said, it's a, it's a long fight, right? And so I'm mm. um, trying my best to contribute and uh, um, doing my best to, uh, you know, do my part. You also have a very cute dog, by the way, too. So I can imagine that um, they've been a part of your self-care as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Dogs are therapeutic. Yeah. And for your podcast, uh, you started Immigrations recently. And so what do you hope to do with your show? And what do you and what have you learned so far from your guests that have shared their stories with you? Yeah. You know, I just Immigrations is just really the purpose what i'm trying to do is really capture unique stories of asian undocumented immigrants living in this country and over the past 10 years i met such a diverse group of um, asian undocumented uh, community members and i heard their stories in different different spaces and now i'm in a position where i want to create my own agency where um, we create our own narratives uh, by and for undocumented folks. And it's a very empowering process and I'm learning a lot uh, myself. And um, there's a lot of diverse stories. You know, in the beginning you talked about, you know, we're so, such a diverse um, immigrant population. It is so true. You know, some are um, highly successful, um, some, uh, are going through a lot of different challenges and oftentimes not being shared in the mainstream media. And I also want to highlight uh, those stories and how we are so diverse and there's some similarities and differences within um, Asian undocumented population. And so it's been a humbling work and um, I'm learning a lot uh, by myself and um, I want to continue to contribute. This is another way of you know, bring me joy and another way of contributing in a larger movement. And, and we will see how things play out. Thank you for sharing this. And also, as we start to wrap up, if you had to go back and talk to your 2013 version of yourself, what would you tell that person? 
That's a, such a great question because you know I ask similar question uh, to my guests in my podcast. What would you tell your younger self and why? <laughs> But no one told me uh, that question, so I, this like, I haven't thought about that. But what would I told myself in 2013? I would say. Everything will be okay. Uh, I think that you know, 2013 or when I was like getting involved in immigrants movement, I was just everywhere, um, and I was so insecure and um, didn't know whether I was going in the right direction. And looking back, I don't have any regret whatsoever. I gave it all 110%, and um, I shouldn't be that. You know, anxious or stressed about it because everything was really aligned, um, and um, I'm just grateful, um, you know, to be to be alive until this day, and you know, continue to do this work. And um, I know it's, um, you know, it's unfortunate the fact that we, I'm still fighting the same fight, but we, like I said, we have come very far, you know, and we transformed the lives of. Thousands of uh, immigrant communities, and um, I'm 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 hopeful about next 10 years and, and um, what's to come for myself, my family, and the communities. I hope that that day will come soon when we can all celebrate. Because I gotta say, as I mentioned earlier, you've made so many important victories along the way, especially on the state side, where we're seeing. Um, You know, DreamX bills happening in other states. Uh, we're seeing this driver's license for all in different states, and so those are the kinds of move, the kinds of moving pieces that would lead to hopefully this important uh, victory that you've been working so hard for. So I hope that this day will come very, very soon, and and that we continue to hold this current administration accountable when none of it is happening. I think it's fair to say that if we are not passing it, then we already saw what happened with the Trump administration. And we're not too far from that rabbit hole. So I want to say, I want to say thank you so much, Juhong, for, you know, being on my show and, you know, for really taking a dive into you know, your story and for being able to to really share the depths of your work and also uh, the depths of your own experiences. I I hope that everyone gets a chance to listen to your podcast, Immigrations, which you can, uh, it's um, it's available on most streaming services, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Um, yeah, I hope that you all get to check it out and really want to say thank you again for the work that you've been doing and for really putting yourself out there and, and for also reminding us of the fight that's still ongoing. So you know, many thanks to you for doing that work and, and, you know, safe travels along the way in that work. Thank you. I, I really appreciate you. And I really um, admire all the work that you do. Um, and I think you inspire a lot of people through your podcast. And um, I was really honored to be here and uh, uh, great conversation that we had. So I hope uh, listeners who are out there, um, we hope uh, they learn something new and, um, I hope that we inspire something that really um, 
take them to take actions on immigration because we need as a lot of people as many people possible. So once again, uh, thank you. I, I, it's such a it was fun conversation with you. So I'm excited. All right. Thank you so much. Well, that is a wrap for today. And I want to say thank you so much for listening to my guest and for this episode. So be sure to check out previous episodes that you might have missed. And to stay tuned, check out my Instagram at bunmi, which is B-A-N-H-M-I underscore chronicles. Or you can just type into my Facebook page at the Bunmi Chronicles. Or on Twitter at M-I underscore chronicles and also before before you leave uh make sure that you send a five-star review on apple podcasts and be sure to uh, check out for any new episodes thank you so much and again have a wonderful day